right, and we're back for another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows, and if you can, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or whatever you can do to help support us here at the Lakers Fast Break, it is truly appreciated. Well, I know the Lakers are on a fantastic run right now, and we're truly appreciative as Laker fans, but we need to go ahead every now and then stop and reflect on the greatness that is the Los Angeles Lakers. And I want to go ahead, and I have a great guest on today covering one of those awesome eras in time for Los Angeles Lakers fans. Well, it's great, and it's not so great. It brings such fond memories and also some pain when it comes to what could have been, when it comes to the Shaq, Kobe, Phil era of the Los Angeles Lakers of the early 2000s and late 90s as well. And if you're out there and you're looking for an awesome read, you got to pick up the number one basketball book right now on Amazon. And I'm showing everybody on Facebook Live right now, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, I have the author here today, New York Times bestselling author. He's done book after book after book on the sports world. And I'm bringing up right now all the books that he has right there at jeffperlman.com. And in fact, I have links to not only his site, an excerpt on ESPN.com, plus where you can buy on Amazon and Barnes Noble right there in the description in the video. And I also have it on for everybody listening on audio. It is Jeff Perlman. And Jeff, thank you so much for joining the program today. Love that Bucks hat. I mean, I love those years when they were just like in that just bright orange. It just it was just really cool to see. My favorite football player as a kid was Ricky Bell. Oh. Uh, for USC tailback. Yeah. I was very young. But I loved Ricky Bell. So when I think of the cream school Bucks, I think of Doug Williams and Jimmy Giles, Leroy Stellman, and Ricky Bell. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say creamsicle because I remember that so fondly on uh, those years when they were, well, they were the Tampa Bay Yucks. I think they were called at that point in time because of their lack of success until they reached greater heights. And of course, this year, everybody's excited if you're a Tampa Bay fan out there with Tom Brady at the helm. So there's great things expected this year in Tampa Bay. But getting to your awesome book, I mean, you have gone through the whirlwind right now. I mean, as they call it in the media and PR and whatnot, you're you're in the car wash right now. And as I tell my guests when I interview them, as far as whether books, directors, authors, what have you, I'm like on the tail end. I'm like at the drapes at the very end of the car wash, just before you get to the dryer. So that is not true. Well, I, okay, maybe you're like I'm halfway, like through the soap and the rinsing and all that. But I'm just part. I'm just glad to be part of the car wash. Wow. Your your book has tr- received tremendous response all over the world. I mean, I've seen list after list after list. ESPN has you just, uh, you know, got a great excerpt there on ESPN.com that people can check out. I mean, you're all over. Just tell me the kind of response you're receiving so far for this awesome book, Three Ring Circus. It's been shockingly good. And I have to say the one thing that really has surprised me I just talked about this with my dad today is obviously I finished the book before Kobe's passing. I was really nervous about the response. What would Laker fans say and how much hate would I get? What would it be like? I haven't gotten one, not one negative 
response. And I think a big part of that is people kind of know Kobe's reputation. Like it's not a secret who he was and it's not even, it's almost considered part of the journey. Like he went through this phase, he went through that phase. And then at the end, he was this guy. So I almost feel like I was bracing for a little bit of an impact and it hasn't been nearly as bad. And that's been really encouraging. And yeah, the feedback has been amazing. I'm really shockingly surprised, you know? And that's something that people, when they read the book, they're going to go deep into not only those years that the Lakers were obviously winning the championships, but for me, the fascinating points are, uh, you know, obviously the after. Everybody focuses when they talk about those years on the after and the the ugly divorce that happened between Kobe and Shaq and Phil and all that and the, the harshness and the bad words and the things that and the stories that came out of it. But I love the parts about just before when they were building that team, Kobe coming on as a rookie, you have some great stories there. Uh, you know, is it me or when I think of that team's that was just before the Lakers run and they had guys like Eldon Campbell Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, they had players on there that I thought, when you look at it, talent to talent, plus they had Kobe and Shaq, they really should have made a larger run than what they did at that point in time. Uh, Obviously, they were still getting to know each other, and of course, you talk about that in the book, also as well, Kobe growing and maturing as a player, but I thought they could have made a better run at that point in time. I don't disagree. I think if you just take sheer in its prime talent, the most talented team Shaq and Kobe were on together, was Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, Cedric Ceballos, Eldon Campbell. Now, if you're just looking pure talent. Yeah. Problem is, Ceballos was a pretty selfish player, as I wrote about in the book. I mean, anyone who nicknames himself Chice, you're playing for the Lakers, the franchises, is a little crazy. Van Exel was a shoot-first point guard. Yeah. Great player, but a shoot-first point guard and easily frustrated. Or One of the worries was that Eddie Jones and Kobe, their games are too similar. I still think that Glenn Rice trade was a mistake. I think Eddie Jones is a better fit than Glenn Rice, but whatever. Yeah, that talent was was great. But you kind of learn through the years. I mean, we learned with the Peyton Malone year. Talent alone and names on a paper alone do not a dynasty make. And you really had to surround two superstars like that with guys willing to fill slots. Yeah. Rick Fox filled a slot. Robert Orish filled a slot. Ron Harper filled a slot. Mark Madsen filled a slot. Like they all filled slots. And you can't have it's time old, you know, it's a story that's been told millions of times. Just because you have the five best players on a team doesn't mean you're going to be a good team. Because so we're I not doing a five-on-five five at the rec center. We're no. at, This is actually for higher stakes than that. And sometimes even a five-on-five on five in the rec center, I've certainly played pickup basketball where you're like, oh, these guys are really good, but they don't pass to each other. Yeah. And you're going to be like, all right, let's just pass it out of the ball and find the best shot, and you win. So I think the best team, if we're talking about putting it together, you know, was probably um, probably the year they beat the Sixers. Yeah. Oh, 2000, 2001, and they were just sharp and precise and everything was clicking, and I mean, that was the best team. So that and took, also they had a great coach. They had a great coach. They should have gone undefeated. It took one heroic performance by Allen Iverson and, of course, the iconic step over Tyron Lue and all that, yeah. which I'm sure yeah. he still you know, is, is in his nightmares today as we speak even though he's won a championship as a coach since, but it's so funny how that worked out. But I'm just so happy for your success. You've been just receiving a, a great amount of praise. And obviously, as as a number one selling book on Amazon, you're a top selling book right now on barnesandnoble.com. If people check that out, I mean, just the praise that you're getting all over for it, it's just so tremendous. 
Once again, I'm speaking to Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus. You got to go ahead and get this book if you're a Lakers fan or a sports fan in general today. The links are right below in the description on this video and also I have it on audio. So please go and get that book today. When you cover the Lakers dynasty, it's been covered before those years by various writers and whatnot on other occasions. But when you looked at it and when you wanted to approach this, because you had already covered a tremendous book, The Showtime Era, another era that I'm very familiar with as a Lakers fan. What new angle did you want to approach that? What what type of different look did you want to go ahead and have on this for your readers? So in a lot of ways, one thing I've learned just through 25 years, 26 years of being a journalist is the worst thing you can do is actually go in with an angle. Like if you go in and you say, I'm going to make this book about blank, mm-hmm. then you're asking, you're setting up a jello mold and you don't actually know what kind of jello is going to be in the mold or what shape would naturally take, right? It's a weird comparison. Uh, <laughs> I get it, though. Yeah, like to me, it's not so much, all right, here's what I want to find. It's I'm going to call everyone and see what I find. I'm going to call everyone. I'm going to – Mike Penberthy and Jimmy King and Mark Madsen and guys who played against Kobe – against Kobe in Summer League in 96 and guys who played against him in 97, and guys who were fighting to make the team and the training camp. And I'm going to call the PR interns and I'm going to call the assistant assistant to the assistant. I'm just going to call everyone because it's funny. When you write a book proposal – it's all kind of BS, right? And everyone's yeah. in on the sort of a weird thing because how can you possibly know what it would be about before you report the book? Yeah. You don't. So it's kind of a guess, but it's a weird guess. So I didn't go into this book thinking I want to find blank. I went into this book thinking, I wonder what I'm going to find. And okay, here are the people I need to call. And that's sort of how it went. And the book sort of, as they say, writes itself. Is that correct? If it writes itself, it's really hard. It's a hard work journey. To, for something. I mean, it's not, it definitely doesn't write itself. I mean, I understand okay. that meaning, but it definitely doesn't write itself because it's bruising. It's more like you find little moments that fascinate you. It's all right. Here's the best way I can explain it. There's a writer I know. He's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a great, great writer named uh, Lee Montville. He's written a lot of books. He wrote for Sports Illustrated when I was at Sports Illustrated. He's great. And he once was doing a Babe Ruth book. And I said, why would you do another Babe Ruth book? There have been 100 Babe Ruth books. Yeah, but there's never been my Babe Ruth book. Yeah, right? there you go. And I kind of think about it. You're the narrator of this journey, and you decide where this journey is going to take you. And so I'm writing my Laker book, and maybe Mike Penberthy excites me. Like Mike Penberthy's journey, coming out of Masters College, and having Mitch Kupchak saying, yeah, we're, we're inviting you to camp. Hope you enjoy your week there. And, and Mike Penberthy saying, well, screw that. I'm, this is going to be a, if, if that's how they view me, I'm just going all out. And then making the team, and having Shaq notice that he's wearing a jacket he bought at Banana Republic, and saying, you know what, do you want any suits? Mike Penberthy saying, no, I don't own any suits. And Shaq saying, well, I'm going to buy you six suits. Come tomorrow, my tailor will make them for you, right? That little journey spoke to me in a huge way. And 99 out of 100 other writers maybe wouldn't have called Mike Penberthy or would have taken it a different path. Not better or worse, just different. Yeah. But for me, you see where the journey takes you. And you're this narrator of this journey. And hopefully it takes you in a unique place. And at the end of the day, you can say, well, that's the book I decided to write. And someone else, comes, Roland Lazenby comes along or Howard Beck comes along, or whoever, and they have a different interpretation of it all. And that's okay. That's what makes these books interesting, I think, is different perspectives. And I'll tell you what, you have a great perspective on it, because obviously, if, if people are out there and they're reading it, they're getting a, probably a, a more detailed look than we've ever seen from those years that I've ever seen as far as anywhere that's been reported or written about. So I, I will tell you this, you get a high recommendation from me as far as your book. It's just a, a tremendous read. 
uh, you know, I'm going through it so far. It's just great. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Hey, Lakers fans. Looking for the best place to go for up-to-date news, information, original videos, articles, podcasts, opinion pieces, and discussions about the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, look no further than Lakerholics.com. With a legion of followers always there talking about everything Lakers and the NBA, there's no better place to go to share your fandom as the team heads toward another championship run. So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. You know what? It's just something that if everybody out there is a sports fan, Lakers fan, or just likes a good biography, they need to go ahead and check out Three Ring Circus today. Go ahead, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, the whole nine yards. Actually, there's even audio ex- excerpt of what you're saying. You read just a little bit of it on Amazon right there for you if people want to get a taste. So I didn't read the book, though. They hired someone else. Oh, so. they hired someone else? Okay. Because I, I just, and I was like, oh, a kind of familiar voice right now. Okay, so my bad yeah. on that. But, yeah, absolutely. There's a little audio excerpt of that. Might have actually been better if you read it. So they never. I've never read my own book. Never. Really? I don't know why. I don't know why. But they come to you and they say, we want to pay you for the audio rights and you get more, you get extra for the audio rights. It's not including your book deal. So someone comes to you and says, we want to pay you for the audio rights. And you say, how much? And they say a pretty good amount. And you say, okay. And then they, you never hear from them again. So. Ah, uh, that's a shame. I'd love to hear your vantage point because sometimes when authors read their own books, you could tell there's certain points of time where they get more meaning out of it. So. Sure. I'll tell you this. My last book was about the USFL, the old football league. Yes. And they hired someone to read the book. And I start getting these calls from people. Like, uh, example, one of the stars of the league was a quarterback named Bobby Bear, who later played in the NFL. And throughout the book, the audio reader calls him Bobby Hebert. And there are points in the book where he would say, and the Panthers beat the Stars 22-7. to 7. And he would say, 22-7. Uh, <laughs> and that stuff kills me. Like, it kills me. It's, it's so like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because you know the guy doesn't know anything about sports, and like, who reads a score and says twenty two seven? So that's that's a killer. I hope you one day you will be able to go ahead and, and audio transcribe for your readers out there. One of your awesome books coming up in the future. Thank and you. speaking of which, before I've got a question from one of our own uh, Lakerholics dot com writers, Magic Man. I've got one him. He threw out there last night when he, when I told him I was interviewing. But first off, you've got so many great sports books out there. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, the Mets, Brett Favre, the USFL, which you just mentioned, which people can go ahead and look at today at jeffperlman.com. And if you're watching right now on Facebook Live, you're checking out right now on his site. I wanted to ask you this. Your time spent on this particular book as compared to those others, what is your main takeaway on your time spent with it compared to the others? I mean, did you enjoy it? Was it less? Was it harder work? Was it, you know, just basically something that you were taking away from this as far as an experience? It was the hardest book I've ever worked on. Really? Uh, by far. And a big part of the problem was um, as we move forward in time, athletes become a little more difficult to deal with. Like they, It's not the people themselves, but it's the circumstances in which they've come along. And they've come along in a modern time where social media sort of carries a day and you don't, there used to be a need, you know, you're writing a book about Walter Payton, all his old teammates are used to talking to the press and they're used to this idea that newspapers matter, magazines matter, and books matter. 
Also, they're older. So these are guys who are in their 60s and 50s and are just happy to talk. Um, it was definitely harder with the Lakers. I had to work really hard and do a lot of travel and do a lot of, not groveling, but, you know, can I talk to you? Well, maybe. I'll call you in a week. Can I talk to you? Uh, call me in another week. Can I talk? It was just hard and it was exhausting. But I feel really good about it because I feel like sometimes when you crawl through that, you come out the other side and you're like, wow, I actually survived that. And that's great. Also, the Lakers during the Showtime era, from a media standpoint, or when I was writing that book eight years ago, they just were a little easier to deal with from a media standpoint. The NBA has become a much more guarded world, even the teams themselves. And a lot of times now, when I did the first book, John Black was a PR person for the Lakers. Yeah. Super easy. Who do you need? How can I help you? And it was never like, just make sure you're right. You make us look good. Not one time. It was never about that. Just get the story right. As long as you get the story right, we're cool. I thought this time the Lakers, I still love the organization. I do feel like there's a guardedness that there wasn't in the past with the media and a little bit of, yeah, we don't really need to help you that much. You know, because nowadays they're so used to going through agents yeah. and going through handlers. It's just a different world. So it's a little less friendly, to be honest. And that's why I made the book harder for you as an experience to go ahead and get all that information, correct? I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. So the Lakers set up an interview with Mark Madsen. Because two years ago, Mark Madsen was an assistant coach. Took forever to set up the interview. That's fine. I go up there. I interview him after a practice. They didn't have a game that night. Mark Madsen, nicest human being on the planet. Like as nice a guy as you'll ever find. And I'm interviewing him. And he's super into it. He's great. He could not be nicer. Great stories. He's clearly happy to be there. You know, he's talking about a great time of his life. And I look behind him and a Laker PR person is going, like, Saying basically, like, time's up, time's up. It was 15 minutes for Mark Madsen. Like, why and why? Like, why? We're both happy. There's nowhere to go. Practice is over. And that kind of stuff, honestly, it's not the Lakers, it's everybody now. It just drives you crazy. You know, like, he's an adult male. Mark Madsen and I, we're both in our 40s. You know, we're old enough. We can talk. We know. And that kind of stuff would just drive a person to drink. I understand the protection of guys like LeBron, Anthony Davis, they get a million media requests. I understand it. But if two people, two adults in their 40s are having a nice conversation, I just don't think you need to be trying to cut it off because of some weird media policy that you have that makes no sense. And that kind of stuff, I've got to drink. Just being honest, I love the Lakers. I love Genie Bus. That kind of stuff drives you crazy. It drives anyone crazy if they're trying to go ahead and, and get more research into their story. Absolutely. So I don't blame you a bit. As someone who is a journalism major myself, I had those same type of issues on a much smaller scale, but I can understand when you run up against those walls or running up against those roadblocks every time you're trying to interview somebody and you know people tapping on your shoulder, it's time to go, regardless of what is going on in the conversation. So Also, not for nothing, and I'm not saying this braggy because it means nothing, but like in the context of this, I wrote a book about your organization that was a huge seller, you know? That book is becoming an HBO series, right? Like, so the Lakers, more time. More, like, again, I'm not saying I'm anybody in the grand scheme. I'm not saying this job is important. But in the context of journalism and writing and the Lakers, you know who I am. Like, you know I've dealt with you before. You know I'm not some guy sneaking in trying to get dirt on you. Like, you know I'm professional. At least you know I'm professional. You know, yeah. I'm like, and there's no, I'm writing a book. And books take time and books take research and you have to dig. And I just think like, why... To anyone, I don't think if it's a kid from the college newspaper, a kid from like, everyone's trying their best here. You know, we're all trying our best here. And it just drives me crazy when there are people trying to undermine that or make it harder on you. Like, why make it harder on you? Absolutely. And it's not like this was your first book either. I mean, you have an established history already made across the sports world. 
you know, again, even if it's a kid from the UCLA student newspaper and he's here to do a piece about Mark Madsen. Yeah. Mark Madsen has nowhere to go. He's just happy talking. Let him talk. Yeah. Like, let him talk. Make these people human. Give them a reason to write about the Lakers. I just, it's just that stuff drives me crazy. I don't blame you one bit. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. Once again, I'm speaking to Jeff Perlman, author of the number one best-selling book as far as biographies for sports. Just got to go ahead and check it out. It is Three Ring Circus. It's done a tremendous job. It's doing well. There's great praise all over the place. You got to go ahead and read this book. Audible, uh, anyway, you can get your hands on it. It is available now, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the links are in our description on both our audio and video formats. I want to ask you a question. Sure. Is that okay? Yeah, you, have, you have the Kobe jersey hanging behind you. Absolutely. And then, uh, hold on, I got to show you Shaq right over here. There's Shaq right over there. He's lurking okay. on my other shoulder right there. So. I, you're a diehard, diehard Laker fan? I am. I was born in Inglewood, California, a block away from the Forum, so it was destiny, so to speak. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. You're reading my book. Yes. I expected Laker fans or Kobe fans to have mixed feelings, right? Uh, you know, I understand it, but blah, blah. and I've gotten none of that. Like ze- I've gotten zero of that. I was ready. I was in this position, the brace <laughs> position. Why do you think that is? I can tell you right now because people want to know more about Kobe than at any point in time in history. They want to know his history. They know, like you said before earlier in the podcast, that he has this troubled history of highs and lows where he's angered the L.A. Lakers fans, but he's also beloved by the L.A. Lakers fans. He's both both tormented and also encouraged us to an extreme that very little or very few Lakers have ever done before. I mean, you could put him on a pedestal with Magic, Shaq. Very few Lakers have ever entranced us the way he has. So that's why any type of information that gives us more in-depth look at the history of when he was at his peak or at his really growing power, so to speak, it's just it's just so fascinating for us. We you know we want to hear these stories. We want to read. We want to look into these stories even more because again, we don't have Kobe to ask and talk to anymore about it. So right now it's our fascination as Lakers fans to find out more about who the man Kobe Bryant was. It's really crazy that he does not exist anymore. You know, like that's just a, it's like you talk about him over and over again and this and that, and even Eagle Colorado, you talk about the highs and the lows. And they're like, it's the same thing with anyone when they die, but it's like, wow, he doesn't, he doesn't exist anymore. Like he's not here anymore. That's just, 
it's so sad. You know, it's just so freaking sad. You know, it's, it's still hard to get used to. And right. uh, you know, some of the places where I've shared it today, and thank you for your shout out for all those Facebook groups for the Lakers fans, the tens of thousands of fans right there. And still, even to this day, a lot of them, I see the posts that they're making, it's very hard for them to fathom that he is gone. And and they're trying to cope with it still, even to this day, over six months later, that they're still trying to cope with it. And it's completely understandable that they do. Don't you think a lot of it is like, well, number one, it's the age, it's the age of, you know, he's 41 when he died. Like, that's yeah. a young age for a person who passed. Number two, like... Okay, your grandma dies or your aunt dies or whoever, like you have some pictures of them. You don't have a million videos and you don't have this sort of, you don't have his Twitter, their Twitter feed in front of you. You don't have like, it's, he's so easily accessible in a million interviews and in a million videos that it, you know, it's like different. When you have a relative die, they die and you look at a picture and you think that's sad. And maybe you have a couple of videos and you look, but he, like him not being here isn't that different than him being here. Right, right now we all be in COVID and we wouldn't be seeing that much of them anyway. We'd be going to the videos on YouTube. So now we go to the videos. It's a weird mind thing that he's not here, but he's so easily visible and, and listenable to. Absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, earlier this year, I, I after he passed away, was one of the first places of things I did. I went to YouTube and right. just looked at some of the history, looked at those championship years, that three-peat. I mean, that's first place a lot of people were just migrating to to just go ahead and remind them of his greatness and obviously the 81 point game and, and just the whole nine yards of, of all the things that he did in his life that are documented and like you said there's so much out there on Kobe that we feel like we knew him feel yeah. like with that we were a part of his life in so many different ways and I think that's probably why that it just for so many it just to this day it grips them so much yeah I agree I just want to say as a side note, one thing that never gets discussed and just kind of funny, his last game, which obviously is one of the, one of the great moments I've ever witnessed in sports, he shot 50 times. Like, that is insane. He took 50 shots that game. That is the most amazing, not to use this term, I never, but like ballsy, like I'm going out, I am going out shooting. Like I'm going out shooting. I'm going to shoot 50 times this game. That is one of the most amazing stats ever. Forget the number of points he scored. Shooting 50 times, I actually love that. I think it's insane. That's a definitive Kobe Bryant moment. I mean, if people, 100 years from now, they're not familiar with who Kobe Bryant was, I think that's probably one of the best ways to describe it. You know, as a person, an individual leaves their mark on the game. Like you said, that is Kobe Bryant right there for you. I agree. And like him scoring 60 points is amazing. Him taking 50 shots is even more amazing in a lot of ways like that. You're like, I'm... This game, I'm getting everything I can out of this game. I, I don't care. I'm getting everything I can. It was, I mean, I love it. I love his last game, and I love Jeter's last game. When he, his last game at Fenway, when he, uh, he walks off the field to a standing ovation at Fenway. Those moments to me, right here, always. Awesome. They'll always bring a tear to your eyes and to a lot of sports fans' eyes. I know my eyes were tearing up at that point in time when I watched Kobe's final game. And, again, just thinking about it, you, know, you still it feels so raw even to this day that he's not part of us right now. And you know what I like actually is um, I'm a New Yorker. I live in Southern California, but I'm born and raised in New York. And I wrote this book and I felt like when Kobe died, I really sort of learned what it was about him, right? And I really mean this, like, because I grew up in New York and Patrick Ewing was a star in basketball when I was in New York. And people loved Ewing, but there wasn't this connection like like this. 
And it really seems like what people loved about Kobe more than anything, maybe I'm wrong, especially young fans though, is the doggedness of it all. Like the determination of it all. Like I am going to outwork you and I'm going to burn my ass doing it. I don't care how many shots I have to take in a gym and I don't care how hard I have to work and how many steps I have to run. I'm just going to do it harder than anyone else. And I feel like that really resonates with people. And when he died, I thought a really interesting recurring theme was young fans saying, Kobe taught me how to work. Kobe taught me how to go after it. Kobe taught me what it means to dream big and fight for that dream. That's a freaking legacy right there. You know, not just he was a great basketball player. Like Patrick Ewing, New York was a great basketball player. That legacy, I mean, that's that's a pretty freaking high level. Absolutely. I mean, it reminds you of those few artists that are able to achieve that level that died way too soon, but they're going to be remembered for years and years to come and they're going to be memorialized and they're going to be just continually thought of and remembered simply because of the fact of how they went and approached their craft or how they approached their life. And you see it even recently with Anthony Davis, game two, takes the shot. What's the first thing he mouths? Kobe. Right there for yeah, you. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the Lakers, you know, playing as well as they have been, it's just awesome to see. But again, your book coming out at this point in time, it's just really a great success story for you. But before we head on out, I want to ask you two quick questions. Right. First off, Magic Man, again, he had to ask me about this one. Of all the things he, he's got to ask me, he's got to ask me about Kareem Rush. And the story about him, something that he said, and Kobe and Shaq. And I wanted to know if you were going to elaborate on that a little bit further, or if you'd like to. At the end of Game 5, after they lost to the Pistons, the Lakers had a little party afterwards. Not a part. I mean, it's hard to celebrate when you just lost the NBA Finals, but like a team function. Sort of like, this is the end of the season. Jerry Bussett had it. He's at a hotel and a restaurant in Michigan. And Kareem Rush is a, is a young player then. And it's the end of the season. He's kind of thinking... All right, we lost in the finals, but Carl was hurt. I don't know. We have Shaq. We have Kobe. We have a lot of talent here. This is we're gonna. This is gonna be for a while. And he's at this function, and he told me um, I met Kareem Rush in a Starbucks. Kareem Rush, I just want to say, maybe the most handsome human being I've ever sat across from, and it was intimidating. You're like, this guy just came from the gym or something. I would never look as put together as Kareem Rush, so I have to hate him for that. But otherwise, super nice guy. And he said to me, um, he said Kobe walks in. And he says, I'm never playing with that mf ever again. He was talking about Shaq. And Kareem Rush said that was the moment when he knew, wait, what? And he knew that that was the moment when he first knew this thing wasn't going to go on. And it was really crushing to him, you know, because he thought he was a young man on an amazing journey. And instead, it looks like this thing isn't even going to last. And that's, uh, again, truly disheartening how that all went down and. I know, again, ad nauseum, us Lakers fans will always say, well, what could have been, what could have been, what could have been. I want to ask you this as our last question to you. After writing both the awesome Showtime book that you did and this book, obviously you told us about how much work and how difficult this was for you to create, especially this one. What are your takeaways as far as how history will perceive each of those dynasties, whether it's the sports or whether it's pop culture, how people will perceive those two separate dynasties for the Los Angeles Lakers. All right. So I think, and this is weird because I'm promoting a book I just wrote. I think the Showtime Lakers probably have a, a more embedded historical sort of impact in sports because it really was a revival of the NBA with Magic and Bird arriving. And that team and what they did and the attention they got and the way Magic sort of orchestrated on the court and a little off the court it has a permanence because it's a part of NBA history. Like it is actually a 
point where the NBA goes and leads into Matt, into Michael Jordan. I actually think one of the sad things about this all, that's sad, but a misfortunate, unfortunate things is um, I feel like too many people forget how dominant Shaq was. Like I really do. And I think part of that is because he's become a celebrity away from basketball. He's become the spokesman. He's the jolly, you know, giant man. He's so lovable and, and, and you know, just so um, lovable yeah. and so likable. But I think when people look back, I think they go, all right, we had Bird and we had Magic, we had Jordan, we had Kobe, we had LeBron, right? And I think they overlooked the fact that for eight, nine years, this guy was the most physically dominant player in the NBA and unstoppable. And for some reason, I don't know why, maybe it's because of Kobe and the bigness of Kobe, he's obscured a little bit. So I think probably this dynasty in a way, even though they won three in a row, will sort of be remembered more as part of Kobe's five-ring, especially dying young, to be honest, like that actually does something to a, a sort of legacy in the way we talk about legacies more. I think in a way it obscures Shaq. And the truth of the matter is Shaq was the best player on those teams and the most important player on those teams. And But I do think it's a little obscured, his impact. So. I, I agree with you. I mean, when I look at the Showtime era that I lived through as a kid, as a teenager, I see what was and how great it was and what an experience it was. And like you said, what it did for the NBA and bring it to the forefront with those battles against the Celtics and the Pistons and the whole nine yards. When I look at the three-peat of those years that I lived through and I see that, I think about more of what could have been. And I mean, they talked about it at the, as Kobe was nearing the end of his life, when they kind of reconciled and they talked about, wow, they, how they could have, one more, one more, one more. And in fact, that year that they lost to the Detroit Pistons, I mean, they had such a great start. They went off to such a fantastic uh, beginning. It looked like it was going to be a runaway for them. And unfortunately, inside and out, and also due to injuries, it fell out from there. But again, it, it fell apart very rapidly as you talk about and you know, as you write about in your book. And it's just right there for you. And it's just, like I said, when I look at that era for the Lakers, I, I look at it as more of what could have been for the Los Angeles Lakers. Someone said to me recently, I saw a quote, I think it was, and it was unrelated to the Lakers, altogether unrelated to this book. Someone said, hell is when you, you die and you, the worst hell imaginable would be you die and you're shown everything you could have done. Like everything in your life you could have done but didn't. And you, you view it all. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, I think they were done by this point. I think that dynasty ended at a time when it needed to end. And the Kobe, it's almost like when you raise a kid and the kid's ready to go off. And I feel like at that point, Kobe, for good or for bad, was ready to go off to the world and establish his own self. And that's okay. You know? Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Like, like you said, it just helped set up his legacy even more when he separated yeah. from Shaq. And I, I'm not sure if we would have as much of a reverence for Kobe if today had they stayed together. And you know what? At the end of the day, no matter how serious some of us take sports, and we all take sports, I guess, to a certain degree, it's entertainment. And at the end of the day, it is just entertainment. And that whole era, even the Shaq Kobe drama, and it gets traded to Miami, and as he going to the Clippers, it was just wildly great entertainment, more than anything. Like, it was fun, and it was adventurous, and there were highs, and there were, if every year they just won, if they won 10 championships in a row, I know nobody likes yours, it'll get kind of boring. Like the, the lows bring you the highs and everything is exciting. And will they, it's the beauty of sports is that you turn on a TV show, someone knows the ending, but nobody knew how this was going to end. That's what makes it really enjoyable. So I am, um, I feel like there should be no regrets. 
Kobe obviously dying young should be a, a regret and is a horrible tragedy. But the Lakers only winning three titles during that period. I'm a New York Jet fan, okay? I haven't had a Super Bowl in my lifetime. You could argue that's a tragedy. The Lakers of the uh, Shaq Kobe era made a lot of success. It was a good run. Well, it could be worse. He could be a Clippers fan. I don't think it can be worse than being a Jet fan, but we can argue that another day. Okay, <laughs> sounds good indeed. Once again, I'm speaking to New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman. You got to check out all his library at jeffperlman.com. Plus, in the descriptions, in the, both the audio and video formats, I have his instant links for both Amazon and also Barnes & Noble's. You, you go ahead and just right there, boom, right there, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, order the books right away. It is Three Ring Circus. Want to go ahead and check it out today. Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. It is an awesome book indeed. I truly am enjoying my experience with it. And Jeff, I cannot thank you enough for taking a little bit extra time to speak to me. 40 and a 50-year-old man talking back and forth as far as that's concerned on today's show. I'm 48, so I'm almost there. You're almost there, but I'm actually 51, so I'm a little over the hump on that. But I will tell you this. It was just an extreme honor going ahead and speaking to you. I cannot thank you enough for taking time to speak to me. I know you have so much on your plate right now, but again, it was just truly rewarding to speak to you on today's show. That was my pleasure. Thank you. It's really an honor for me. So thank you so much. Jeff, I wish you continued success and I cannot thank you enough. And hopefully you'll want to come back one day and speak to us again right here at the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. 